Let's see how many of you are going to impress us with your literary knowledge. Yet he hath ever but slenderly known himself. Do you know where that quote is from? Anybody? Yet he hath but slenderly known himself. Any guesses? What's it sound like, first of all? Shakespeare, good, we're moving. Any guesses now, just deducing from your uh, knowledge of someone who only slenderly may have known himself? There's actually a whole bunch of Shakespeare characters that could fit into that category. It is. Who said that? Yes, nice job, Amy. Yes, uh, the whole quote, "'Tis the infirmity of his age, yet he hath never but slenderly known himself." That right there is a really heartbreaking statement. Uh, King Lear's daughters, Regan and Goneril, are kind of obsessing over what they can do to gain power as his father, as, as their father um, hands it off. And they're talking about the ways in which in his old age he's changed. Um, but what they say is actually, even though he's getting older and maybe not as sharp as he used to be, he actually hasn't ever known himself. And in doing so, they reveal his tragic flaw. And King Lear's tragic flaw is that he has no self-knowledge. Uh, he is unable to see himself clearly. And he has for decades and decades and decades. And that is the tragedy within the greater tragedy of King Lear, which is super dark. Like, everyone dies. Uh, spoiler. Um, and, uh, and, and at the end of his life, at the end and end of his life, he does grow in self-knowledge, but by then it's too late. And every single one of his relationships has been completely destroyed, including his own. His fate has been sealed. So that's hopeful. Good morning. All right, so we're gonna, we, we've been talking about this, this theme of, of awareness, the art of noticing we're talking about, how when we encounter Jesus, we grow in the art of noticing. So last week, the whole goal was the art of noticing who's around us, okay? The idea was that when we encounter Jesus, number one, Jesus sees us wherever we are and invites us in and includes us, but then gives us the ability and the calling to look around and see what's going on around us, see the people that are missing, that are standing on the sidelines and invite them in, into relationship, into friendship, into God's love and care. Um, and so, so we, we talked about noticing who's around us. This week we're going to talk about uh, turning the, the, uh, the picture completely, and we're going to talk about noticing what's within us, which is arguably a, a much more challenging task, to quote the alternative rock band Wilco, we are oceans in motion. We are impossible to figure out. There's too much depth there. And so the art of growing in self-knowledge and hopefully not being people that at the end of our lives have ever but slenderly known ourselves, we look to Jesus because Jesus helps us peel back layers in real life. And that doesn't just help us, it helps all of those around us, as we'll kind of get into here. So, um, so Jesus is going to be leading us in this, in this journey. We're only going to scratch the surface, obviously, right, in a topic this enormous. Uh, but um, but uh, we're going to look uh, at this from a couple angles. We're going to start in Matthew 19. So in Matthew 19, we were actually, um, we were there when Jesus talked about the children last week, just for a moment. 
and including them. But this is a whole different one. So Jesus is on this teaching tour, really in the heart of it. And, uh, and people are coming up to him, and some of them are testing him, some of them are, are quizzing, some of them are just trying to figure things out. And it's hard to judge the motives because we're not told in this story in Matthew 19. All right? But, but here's what happens. So a man comes up to Jesus, and some of you will be familiar with this story, and he says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's the question. What good thing do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus gives a response um, that, you know, could be seen as a bit snarky, um, but also probably is getting at something deeper because, uh, because what he says is, well, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And just a little freebie here, um, I want you to take notice that when he says, he says, what good thing do I have to do? And then Jesus repeats that and says, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good? All right, so Jesus says, you're talking about like good things. So right off the bat, Jesus says, I'm not sure you're getting the point. What good thing do I have to do to get, we might, we might rearrange that today with our um, language that we've kind of adopted in, in a lot of evangelical circles, um, which we're, we don't particularly fit in perfectly. Uh, but, but this idea of saying, what do I have to do to get to heaven and Jesus responds and says, I'm not sure you're even understanding the issue correctly. So, so Jesus reorients this guy even right off the bat, but I don't think he gets it. So, uh, so there's only one who is good, Jesus replies. If you, but, so in other words, about who, not about what, but anyways, I'll entertain your question. So keep the commandments. If you want to enter life, I like how, how he rephrases it, get eternal life. The guy wants to claim something. Jesus says, if you want to enter into life. So good. It's so good. We cannot miss this. We've screwed it up so much. All right. Um, so anyways, uh, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquires. All right. So then Jesus says, and he starts quoting the big ones, right? The big ten. All right. So you shall not murder. That's number six. You shall not commit adultery. That's number seven. You shall not steal. That's eight. Don't give false testimony. That's nine. Honor your father and mother. Take a couple steps back. That's number five. Uh, so he's giving kind of a summary. He's not intending to leave out a bunch of things. He's saying, you know the commandments, but then he slips this other one in. And love your neighbor as yourself. Not one of the Ten Commandments. Just kind of slips it in there. And you can, you can guess that this guy, who apparently knows the commandments quite well, knows what's coming. Because as Jesus is saying this, you, can, you just imagine someone nodding. Have you ever had somebody do that? You're talking to them. And they don't actually know where you're heading, but they think they do. And so they just nod along. And you're like, you're not even listening anymore. You've got this figured out. Uh, so anyways, so Jesus says, you know, keep the commandments. He starts rattling off these commandments. And then he slips and love your neighbor as yourself, which is from Leviticus 19. But it's kind of obscure until Jesus highlights it. But anyways, this guy responds. And, uh, and here's, here's what he says. He says, all these I have kept. What a response. What a response. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whew. Thankfully, Jesus, I have done that all in completeness and fullness. Like how on earth, how lacking of self-awareness do you have to be to claim that you have loved your neighbors as yourself? Like with a period at the end. All these I have done. Although it's not actually a period because 
he senses there's still something missing. So he, he, he's scratching the surface of his own life. Jesus seems to be moving him and hinting at him, at, hinting towards something. And he's the one that himself says, but uh, what do I still lack? So, so this is, when he says, what do I still lack? This is what makes me think that this guy is not trying to test Jesus. He's someone who's honestly trying to figure things out, but he just, he doesn't see clearly. Not yet. That, that's my, my take. I might be wrong. But so, so anyways, Jesus continues to, to walk with him. And then Jesus answers. So, so the guy says, all these I've kept, which is a complete blatant lie. Um, but, but it's okay. He doesn't think so. I don't think. I don't think he thinks it's a lie. I think he believes it. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, perfect is not flawless. There's no Hebrew concept of perfection. Perfect is completion. So if you want to be complete, if you want to, to, to truly get to the end point of what this is all about, then here's what you need to do. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. And then we're told that the young man, when he heard it, he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Now the point today, there is very adequate time and energy spent on talking about the emphasis in the scriptures of caring for the poor and of radical generosity. Um, but when we're talking about the art of noticing, all of the scriptures that we're looking at, we're trying to take a slightly different take on it, meaning notice something that maybe we haven't noticed in the past. And what I want to encourage you to sit with in, in this moment is this young man's complete lack of, of self-awareness. And here's what has happened. In his self-awareness, or his lack thereof, so... Here's Jesus. Let's just do all the stereotypes. So here's a beard. Okay. So there's Jesus. And here's this other guy. And this other guy, this, this man, we're going we're gonna to give him a little halo. But we're going to put it in quotes. Okay. Um, I can see your hand. All right. Uh, so what we're going to do is we take a look at this guy, and this guy, this, this poor young man, I, I do say poor young man because he doesn't yet have a clue, he has a sense of, of his own holiness, but it's a counterfeit holiness, okay? So he thinks he's holy, he thinks that he's done everything, but, but he's actually blinded, and in his encounter with Jesus reveals what's actually within his heart. There was not real genera- generosity, not real compassion, not the ability to relinquish his own for the sake of others. But, but I don't think he could see it. Maybe it's because he told himself stories. Maybe it's because other people propped him up and told him stories. You look really good from the outside. You have it together. You have a lot of money. You have a lot of wealth. That means God has blessed you. You are the one that others should aspire to be like. So maybe he's heard the stories that have propped up his, his counterfeit holiness his whole life, where he's done the externals that look really good, but he was not aware of what was in his heart, or if he was, he wasn't actually doing anything about it. And so, you know, culturally and religiously speaking, at this time in the ancient Near East, what he assumed was a strength, a blessing from God, was actually a hindrance. Um, And so beyond this devout and holy life on the surface, Jesus brings him face to face with a heart that is clinging to comfort and to materials and possibly to assumptions about how great and holy he was. All right? This should be a caution for us, friends. 
this needs to be a caution for us to not be people who are led by kind of like under the surface prideful assumptions. Sometimes the more holy and certain that we think we are, uh, the, the less aware we are of the blind spots that we have. In fact, let's, let's amend that statement. Almost always, the more certain and holy we think we are, the more blind spots that we have in our lives. Uh, and we need Jesus to help us look into the heart and see what's bouncing around in there. Uh, so, so when we encounter Jesus and when we let Jesus speak into the deeper places uh, within us, we end up walking away different if we listen to what Jesus says. So we become more aware. And there's two sides to that. So the first side um, that we kind of just started to lean into, when we submit ourselves to Jesus and we take this inward journey of noticing what's going on within us, um, we, we start to notice what's really in our hearts and what needs to stop or change. This is really obvious, um, but sometimes we need to talk about things that are obvious. We begin to notice what's within us and what needs to stop and what needs to, to change. Okay? Uh, but the ultimate goal, and here's where I think we've gotten it wrong. We'll hit this uh, again. But the ultimate goal that Jesus is trying to do is not make life harder for us. You can read that and be like, man, it's just so hard to follow Jesus. No doubt, no doubt, it is hard to be faithful um, because the way of love often pulls us away from our, our uh, selfish desires. But Jesus' ultimate goal is not to make life hard and make discipleship and holiness really tough. It's to lead us toward life. So when Jesus does things, that, that forces us to lean into our hearts. Like in, in Matthew 5, um, we have these statements that Jesus makes that we call the antitheses. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Are you familiar with those? Or at least you've maybe heard them. He does a bunch of them. But he says things like, you've heard it was said, uh, don't kill people. But I'm telling you that if anger is like rooted in you, you're equally in trouble. You've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but if lust is taken root in you, that's equally problematic. Now, we look at that and say, Jesus is raising the ante, which he certainly is, and making it a lot more difficult to follow faithfully, to follow the rules. But what he's actually doing is leading us to a better life by saying, if we address what's within our hearts at the root, it will save us so much heartache. So the goal of Jesus is to lead us toward life and saying if we deal with some of these things, if we become self-aware enough that we can see the things that maybe need to stop or change or the things that are self-destructive within us, then all of a sudden we get to address them before they wreak havoc on the people around us and on our own lives. And so, so this journey, wherever we're at, of growth, of letting Jesus search our hearts, will lead us toward life, not just, oh, this is so hard. It's harder if we don't. We do a lot more damage to other people if we're not self-aware. And unfortunately, some of you have walked through lives with people who are, are really lacking in that self-awareness, and you've seen the damage. And some of you have had times and seasons, I have, in our own lives where our lack of self-awareness really um, makes life harder down the road for us and for the people that we love. And so, so it's important that we take all of this, this seriously. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, and here's what happens, though. Once we actually begin to do that, um, it's easy to get really discouraged. Once we begin to say, Jesus, search my heart. Once we begin to have those confrontations with Jesus where Jesus is like, ah, you know, this area is completely still, like, about you. <laughs> or, or this area you haven't really addressed yet. You know, we can get so discouraged, and that can lead to all of this problem, unless we understand the whole gospel. And the whole gospel is that grace is always a part of this conversation, right? Um, 
healthy self-awareness enables us to both understand our need for grace by seeing ourselves as we are, but embrace the beauty of it at the exact same time. Um, we, we see ourselves uh, both imperfect and infinitely worthy of love and care and grace. That's the balance that Christians have struggled with. Like, have you noticed um, that, let's see if I can do like a, like a mountain peak. All right. So, just imagine that this is like the top of a big mountain. It's horribly not, but... So what happens often in, in the lives of, of Christians, based on our origin stories, um, for lack of a better term, is on one side of this path that walks on the top of a mountain, we have pride, and on the other side, we have self-loathing. And we have a ton of problem walking the line of grace and confidence in the middle. So what you notice is a lot of Christians are super prideful of their holiness because they've got it together and the rest of the world is so messed up. But the other, the other group of people just hate themselves because they've been told that they'll never measure up to God. And so, so, so when we move into healthy self-awareness, we can walk the line where we are neither falling on the side of, of, of pride overwhelming us or of this self-hatred. We're walking in honesty and grace. It's okay that I'm imperfect. It's okay that I have struggles, but God's love is enough to continue to lead me forward. That's so powerful. Again, these are simple concepts, but it's so powerful for us to realize. I don't just want those words up there. Let's talk about grace and confidence. Um, so anyways, there's, there's, there's such hope there. All right. Now, the inward journey is indeed often, often painful, but when we get it right, it does stir compassion in us for others as well as leading us in healthier ways. Um, but, uh, but when we get it right, there is so much fruit when we begin to love others with integrity by knowing our tendencies and what's within us. But we've got to follow through on what that means. Um, so self-awareness is great. Transformation is better. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like over the years, you know, I've, I've heard people say, you know, I know I talk too much. And then follow that with 20 minutes of not listening to anything, right? Um, and so I'm like, well, okay, your, your self-awareness is, is good, but it, I'm not sure it's led to any changes. Or, you know, I know I feel horrible every time I eat all this junk food you say, with all that junk food in your lap, right? You know, like, it's, it's those sorts of things. It's like, sometimes we can know what's, what's healthy or beautiful for us, but we lack the ability to actually move there. And so that's why we need to trust the Spirit. We need to have loving people in our, in our lives and, um, and move toward all of, all of that in intentional ways. So just sit with that and be, remember that awareness is good, but transformation is even more, more beautiful. No bonus points for um, knowing something without addressing it at all. All right. So let's talk, before we do the flip side of the coin, which is much more hopeful, friends, tons more hopeful, let's talk about barriers to growth for just a moment, all right? So here's a couple barriers to growth for us. Uh, and, and you're going to know this, but it's just a reminder. Two things, speed of life and distractions are massive barriers to our ability to practice self-awareness. Um, busyness and mind-numbing activities are always ways that we will use to avoid self-reflection. Um, calendars that never let up. A new Amazon Prime series that always will exist to fill the silence, right? The extra glass of wine that's always needed to be able to relax. 
that app that your hand just constantly opens over and over again, even though you have zero reason, you don't even know that it happens. Tell me that somebody else feels like they've experienced that, where you check something, and then 30 seconds later, you open it back up for zero reason, except for the fact that something has this ungodly hold on your life, right? We've been through these things, but it's very easy if we don't acknowledge them uh, to, to see some ugly stuff um, that, that just limits us from being able to see, to see what's within us and to feel our feelings. Um, so there's undoubtedly self-discipline that, uh, that leads us to, to grow in self-awareness. We can't avoid the hard stuff. We have to face it head on. We have to own it. We have to give it the time it needs. And then we can experience the life that Jesus is intending for us. Okay, so what's the other side of this coin? When we uh, approach Jesus, let Jesus search our hearts, we find out what's really in there and what needs to stop or change. But we also find out what's really in our hearts and what needs to start or bloom. This is what I think is, is underappreciated and underspoken in this world, specifically within faith communities when we talk about um, knowing what's under the surface in our own lives. Um, true self-awareness does not just teach us to stop. It teaches us to start really wonderful things. Um, Ephesians 2, Paul is writing, and he's talking about the church. He's trying to figure out their way. And the, the phrase that he used, he says, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are part of something that God is shaping, and we are being shaped in order to do beautiful things in the world which God intended for us to do. And then if you partner that with Romans, where Paul is also talking about how each of us has one body, but many body parts, many members, and these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many, though, uh, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each one of us. So we believe <clears throat> that God has different purposes and different gifts for each of us, and that God has designed us to be able to find our way by doing something beautiful in the world. When we realize that, we realize that we should be going through this journey of awareness that leads us to what we are meant to be doing with our lives. Um, there's such beauty when we begin to embrace something like that. Um, you think about Jesus calling his disciples, uh, like we talked about last week for a moment, to be uh, fishers of people, right? Um, and to reveal God's heart to the world, each of them with their unique personalities and roles. You read the stories of the early church and you see, and you start to get something really compelling. Um, and we begin to figure out what it is that both inspires us personally and looks like the heart of Jesus. What inspires us personally and looks like the heart of Jesus. And when we hit that, that's the sweet spot. Frederick Buchner has this famous quote that we have used so many times in the, the story of our church. And, and he says, the place that God calls each of us is the place where uh, your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Think about that for a minute. And the journey of saying, God, know me, is saying, God, help me figure out where my deep gladness meets the deep hunger that the world has. The deep longings that the world has for the kingdom values that they don't even realize, you know. Um, so, so when we do this, <clears throat> noticing what's within us is key to living out our mission. So ask yourself the right questions. What, what movies, I, I love this, I was talking with Sabrina earlier this week, she brought this question up. You know, what movies do you have trouble watching? Why? 
It might reveal something in you about what God wants you to do with your life. <laughs> you know? What movies are a struggle for you, or what movies do you just get so inspired by, and why? Um, what breaks your heart that seems to also break Jesus' heart, you know? What brings you deep joy that feels like work to other people? That's a great question. What do you love doing <clears throat> that feels like work to other people? That when you said, I spent the day blank, and what you mean to communicate is, what an amazing day, and someone looks at you like you're crazy. Think about that. Maybe God's saying something to you about how you can use the things that naturally bring you delight to care for the world in some new way. I'm not even going to give any examples because I want you to be thinking of your own. Okay, let's, let's get super practical here as we turn the corner um, and then have a bit of dialogue. We said last week, right, where you stand determines what you see. Remember, I stood behind here and I said that I was in an empty room. <clears throat> where you stand determines what you see. So what are some postures of where we can stand that help us see ourselves in better ways, in more true and honest ways. Um, these are going to be mostly theoretical postures or metaphorical postures, but some of them are physical as well. Um, so let's take, and I, this, is, this is not a good, it's not some exhaustive list, so I didn't put it up here because it's not, it's not valid enough to put on the screen. Um, but here are some ideas to help you move into space with Jesus uh, to notice what's inside you. Um, the first posture is standing in solitude. Uh, in the scriptures, we read that your salvation is in quietness and trust. Learning to stand in solitude opens space within you to be self-aware, especially if you invite Jesus into that solitude with you. Um, this, is, this is what we see when David in the Psalms says, Search my heart, O God, at the end of Psalm 139. This is, this is the idea of saying, I want, I want to be known by you, God, and I want to know myself, but I can't do that if I'm surrounded by people all the time. So we have to take postures of solitude in our, in our lives. We have to stand, here's another posture. We have to stand with the scriptures in a journal sometimes, um, letting ourselves experience Jesus in a fresh new way in the scriptures. I think sometimes because uh, it's the, the legalistic background that some of you um, came from makes, and understandably so, makes it difficult to embrace certain practices of personal scripture study. But uh, there is a way to approach this that doesn't say, have I done enough minutes yet today? But instead says, God, I just want to keep learning about your heart. And so sitting with a journal and the scriptures, you know, um, in Hebrews 4, it talks about how, how the scriptures are, have this living and active element that exposes our innermost hearts. So there's something about sitting with it that's so valuable. So I encourage you to take a, a posture of journal and the scriptures and just, again, be in solitude, get away, allow yourself to sit there. All right, here's a metaphorical one. Um, so a posture of, of learning to see ourselves better means that we have to learn to stand without our titles and our roles. All right? We all have titles and roles. Maybe it's father. Maybe it's um, your job. Maybe it's um, a sister. Maybe it's uh, you know, a homeowner. Uh, whatever the case might be. And sometimes we are so focused on all the roles that we have to play that we can't ever step out of that and say, all right, God, I am a being independent of all of these titles that I live in sometimes. I am a child of God. So 
What do you want to speak to me independently of all of those to-do lists that are on my mind, all of those roles that I have to play? And we begin to see ourselves better in some ways if we step out of our roles and our titles. Um, and, and all of the I've just got to blank. All right. And uh, one more thing and then the, the big final one. Um, the, the last thing is to accomplish any of these postures means that we have to learn sometimes, and I mentioned this earlier, but to stand without our screens. It's, it's, it's become enough now with the world of cell phones that we have to actually talk about it in, in church sometimes. Not as like your cell phone is some evil thing. It's just a tool. But, um, but we have to learn how to be independent from our technology um, and, and to, uh, to disconnect from our screens sometimes because even the availability of, you know, the ghost text or the ghost buzzes, what are they called? Is that what? Yeah, like ghost buzzing where in your pocket you think someone just sent you a notification. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but the presence of a cell phone on a table has been studied in relational connections, and they find that the topics of conversation are shallower even if there's a phone on the table that never rings, buzzes, or turns on. The topics don't go as deep because there's some underlying idea that I might be interrupted and that's going to be important. Isn't that interesting? So let's do the same thing independently without another person on the table and just say sometimes, turn that sucker off, go for a walk, leave it plugged in, turn it into a dumb phone, and allow yourself to, to just rest in God's love and goodness and the, the insights that God brings. Okay. Finally, the last thing, which I think is so important, the last posture is that we have to learn to stand with others who know us and love us if we want to grow in self-awareness. So everything I've said before has all been about, you know, the value of kind of personal self-reflection um, and, and getting away. But you know that if you are in relationship with someone in a trusting atmosphere, they will always be able to see things that you can't, right? You know that, right? Like, we can be super self-aware, but we never know how we actually come off to other people. That has to be somebody else who can tell us that. Um, and so, so when we are entrusting loving relationships with other people, uh, there's such beauty that can happen if we invite them to share what they see. We do a disservice to ourselves, by the way, when we think that that all means identifying flaws. If we think that, that by saying, what do you see in me, the only good thing that can come out is people saying, you know, you talk too much. That's not the point here. What I'm suggesting is what if, in all of your relationships, what if you went home, because you're all, you're all wonderful and weird. What if you went home today or went into the meal community that you might be sharing with or a discipleship partner that you have or a friend, and you said, can I ask you a question? Can, can you just help me see where am I weird in a wonderful way? I want you to sit with that question. That might be the, the, the thing that, that might be the, the most helpful to take away from here. Where am I weird in a wonderful way is a valid question to ask other people. you got to make sure you include wonderful. Otherwise, it might be a uh, challenging conversation. But, but people who know us and love us, they can see things. They can see how God has wired us in ways that we can't always see. They say, do you realize that when you do this, you just come alive? Or this feels effortless to you. Or do you realize how hard it is for most people to do that thing that you love? And you begin to say, huh, so maybe this is a God-wired thing? You know? This, this thing that I enjoy doing or this, this um, way that I look at the world or see or even this hurt that I've gone through? You're weird in a wonderful way because you understand people that a lot of others can't understand and you have compassion for them. That's not normal, but that's wonderful. So we have to invite community into this journey. 
because they will help us grow in our self-awareness um, as well as walking directly with Jesus and having Jesus invite us uh, to, to see our hearts. So that's, by the way, one of the things that makes us so excited about what, we talked, what we've been talking about for so long, which is these sending grants. So if you don't know what we're talking about, we said um, that we have set several thousand dollars aside for our church this year to give $100 sending grants to each individual or family unit to go and use to love the world and, and show God's love in some sort of cool way. So you each have 100 bucks available to you, and we want you to use it because we have it set aside for this purpose, to love in some beautiful way. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to start a nonprofit. Um, in fact, uh, Kai, can you pick up those papers right there? Um, there's like 30 ideas to just get you started. And so, yeah, just pass out a couple of, of piles, thanks. And, uh, and you can just pass them around. Just grab one um, and, and take a look at it. You're not intended to look at it all now. It's like 11-point font. It's 10 and a half, actually, to fit it in there. But, um, but it's a whole bunch of little ideas. It's not meant to be the idea that you use, but maybe you will. And there's all these different, these different categories. You know, just a one-off. Maybe you foot the bill for somebody, for someone who's struggling financially, and you know they need a hand. And so you say, hey, let me help with, you know, your electric this month. Uh, maybe it's hosting a party um, with a bunch of local artists, not like actual artists, but, you know, people that like art. And you buy a bunch of supplies and you host a party and you share the creative impulses that, that you've each been given and the works that you're working on. And you affirm each other and it opens the door to love and care. And maybe a part of that involves you sharing that, you know, I feel like this is one of the ways God's, you know, growing me to express myself through art. Whatever it might look like. It might look like compassion and it might look like connection. We don't know, but we want you thinking about it, okay? And so what you do is you take last week and the theme that we talked about, about noticing who's around you, and then we take this theme about noticing what's within us, and we bring it to Jesus, and we say, okay, what am I going to do with this? What inspires me? Where can I be weird in a wonderful way? So next week, when we wrap up this little three-week three talk, we're going to talk about noticing the Spirit among us. All right, noticing who's around us, what's within us, and the spirit among us. And, that, and we're going to allow space during next week for you maybe to actually share, here's my idea of what I might do. It doesn't have to be like set in stone, but maybe we can inspire each other. So we're giving you these papers this week. Sit with them, and then next week as we wrap up this whole thing, um, we'll give you a chance to, um, to say, you know, I'm thinking I might do something like this. I'm not sure. And maybe it'll just kind of inspire us in cool ways. And the little tear-off tab on our handout next week will be a chance for you to write, here's what I'd like to do, and drop it in, and you're going to get 100 bucks shortly after that. All right? And so, so this is uh, a part of what we're excited about. And when each of us reflects and grows in our understandings of our unique passions and our own unique gifts, the ideas that emerge are going to be different, and they're going to be beautiful, and they're going to look like the kingdom of God in all these new ways, and they're going to open the door for people to experience God's love and connection in new ways. So keep that in mind, all right? Um, keep that in mind this week. And, uh, and next week we'll have some fun with it. All right, so let's take a moment and just be still with Jesus. Um, and then we'll have a, a bit of, a couple minutes for dialogue before we share communion, all right? Let's invite you to just take a deep breath.
Lord, that might be the longest time of stillness and silence some of us have had all week. In the midst of whatever we might be feeling, all of the things that demand our time, all of the things that pull at our emotions, all of the exhaustion or the losses or the trauma that we might have uh, experienced recently, I pray that you create sacred space in our hearts to hear your voice of clarity. Even right now, speak, Lord, about what you want to transform and what you want to blossom in us. Help us see ourselves with the love and care that you look on us with. Help us embrace our need for grace. Help us embrace the unique gifts that you've given each one of us. Honestly, Lord, I just pray for the ability to go deeper, to go under the surface with you and to be people of depth, of awareness. Submit so that we might live well and love well, Lord. So speak to us during this time. Amen.